you know, that's a great story. It's like the Amer. When we think of the American dream, that's what you think of. It's like, ooh, I relate. This pioneer who saw things differently from people and went through all this pain. That's why you should never really feel fear of business failure because people just like you more. <laughs> it's like way better to fail a couple of times. Like Mark Cuban told me, he said, Ty, you only have to win once. You win once, you're good. Welcome to the Ty Lopez Show. I'm actually doing a special one here just with my brother. We were chatting late at night. It's, what time has it been? 3, 3.30? 3.13. 3.13. In the morning. Ben's like, if people could hear you talking how you're talking right now, they would like that. So I'm like, let me just turn my iPhone on and record a podcast episode. We were talking about, what, what did you like that I was saying, Ben? Well, it was just a really relatable conversation. You were just sitting down. We were talking about Donald Trump, YouTube videos, Gary V, just your theories on why you why should you be more relatable in, yeah, in life. Yeah, we were, st- we were talking about self-help and Tony Robbins, Gary V, Grant Cardone, uh, motivational speakers, books like Chicken Soup for the Soul. And one of the things I was saying is that if you look in general, um, self-help never gets that big. And I've been watching it for a year and I'm like, the most well-known people in the world, are, let's say the Kardashians, The Rock, you know, LeBron James, Ronaldo, athletes. And, and I think that the reason is, for example, if you take someone like the Kardashians, if you watch a Kardashian show, like, it seems stupid to a lot of people because you're watching the show and it's about hair or what you're going to wear for the day or something like like that's or like drama among family members arguing. But what really works from a marketing standpoint and what convinces people to really follow and engage with you is relatability. I was talking to this. These guys came from Canada and they, they own this um it's called Goldcast. It's a Facebook channel that's doing like 500 million views a month. And we were just talking about like what and they've had a few viral videos do over 100 million. And I was like, what's that characteristic that like really deep at its core makes something go viral? And they're like, well, relatability. And my, I've, been, I've taught my bro. How long have you worked for me? Seven years. Seven years. How old were we when you when you, when you started? 18? Yeah, 18. 18. Now he's 25. So I've been like training him in marketing and business. And Ben loves the 25 cognitive biases. <laughs> that is his one thing. There's this thing that I talk about called the 25 cognitive biases or persuasion. Relatability fires and triggers like at least three core human instincts. One is the tendency to move towards reward bias. The second is availability bias, things that we easily understand that aren't too complicated. And then lastly, liking bias. We, we yeah. basically, humans are narcissistic. And it's just a matter of how narcissistic, like are you like a 10 narcissism or are you a one? And narcissism is the love of ourselves. And so when the average person is watching the Kardashian show, they have a lot of fans and a lot of followers because 
you relate like, oh, they the hairdresser messed up your hair? Like that's happened to me. And so basically subconsciously they're going, I like you because you remind me of me. That's basically what works. So a lot of stuff in like motivation and self-help doesn't ever get that mainstream because it's too like hardcore. You know, you, it's like work till your face falls off. No one, that's not relatable. No one's going to freaking work till the, most people don't relate to work until your face falls off and, and grind. And then when you have nothing in you grind some more, like most people are not Navy SEALs. Most people ain't UFC fighters. Most people are just everyday people trying to live life and make enough money that they don't fall apart, you know? So I think that in everything you do, I mean, it's it. I once read this book, Ben, and it was about how to persuade a police officer to not give you a ticket. Yeah. How to persuade if you go to an, um, an airport and you're late and they close the gate. And the guy, it was a guy or a girl who wrote the book, uh, or it was a couple people who wrote the book, and they basically gave examples where they'd use certain techniques and they've gotten them to bring the plane back. Like, it's almost impossible to do. I don't know if you can do it post 9-11. Or they've gotten a, you know, they've gotten a, they've been doing 80 miles an hour and a 40 and 45, and the police officer's like, all right, I'm going to give you a pass. And the key thing, there's a lot of things, but... One of the things was, for example, if you go to an airport, and, and I've actually done this, and it kind of works. I haven't tried to recall an airplane that already <laughs> flew off. I once was in Virginia, and I was literally eating, and I looked at the boarding pass wrong, and I thought it said that the flight was at 9 a.m., but it was like uh, – I mean, I thought it said boarding was at 9 a.m., but the flight was, was at 9 a.m. Yeah. So I'm like literally sitting, I remember I was eating a donut and I had my back to the window. Eating a donut? I don't know what I was eating. <laughs> I, turn, I hear them like, I didn't even actually hear anything. I think I had a headset on. I was like listening to music. I was like, I got like plenty of time. And then I turned my, around and the plane was rolling away from the thing. And I'm like, no. And I ran and they, they didn't know. I missed that flight. But <laughs> I have got. You need to know the, the persuasion. No, I, I knew it, but it was. The, I was, yeah, it didn't work that time, but I've seen it work. And basically the book said, fall on your knees and cry and tell them how, like, you know, tell them the truth. Like your daughter's at home and she's, no one's going to be there to pick her up at school. And something that the person that at the gate relates to, same with the police officer. Yeah. Cause one time I'll tell you what doesn't work. Police officers be aggressive. And I knew this. I've never been mean to police officers when I've gotten a speeding ticket one time though. I was so pissed off. I had this car that kept getting pulled over because it was yellow. And I lived in Hollywood. It's the first Ferrari I ever had. Mm-hmm. And finally, I was out with this friend of mine and we're driving. And like I go, I'm going 35 miles an hour and I get pulled over. And I'd already been pulled over like five times. And this is what, like I said, I didn't grow up with nice cars. Like this was like my first time having like a real exotic Ferrari, right? So, yeah, I remember that one. You remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, loud. Yeah. It was loud. So this cop pulls me over. And it was the only time in my life I've ever been, like, mean to a cop. He was like, I was like, what did I do wrong? I kind of, I didn't go crazy, but I raised my voice. And he just was like, I could tell. I was like, oh, I made a mistake. Because he took, he was like, give me a second. He went back to his car, waited for 45 minutes, came back, and he goes, well, I got good news. I'm not going to give you a ticket. I'm like, oh, maybe it worked to be aggressive. 
And he's like, the bad news is I'm towing your car. And I was like, what? And he towed the car. Took me a month to get it out. And when I got it out, they had left the lights on. So it was dead battery. I, gu- I had to push it out. I guarantee you the cop did it on purpose. And they made, I was like, can I leave it here until I get a jump start? Like, nope, you paid for it. You got to remove it from the impound station. So I, they helped, three cops helped me push it out. This is a month after I got it towed. And it was pouring down rain. It never rains in LA. It was pouring. And I'm sitting down there trying to jumpstart Ferrari, which I found out you can't jumpstart a Ferrari. <laughs> um, it'll explode the battery if you do it normal. the electrical system. So anyway. What do you have to do? You have to have a special way to jump it. You can't just. Of course. Yeah. But my point being, that was a failure in persuasion. But I've been more relatable to people. It was recently, this just happened to me. I'm trying to remember. Oh, I remember. I was in Las Vegas. And um, it was, we were, I was with, this was just like last month when I was at the, um, I was at this cryptocurrency conference at the Money 2020. And they had a coin conference, Bitcoin conference. So I'm there and I'm with like 10 business, seven business guys. And I'm, let's go eat at a nice restaurant. So we're walking around the Wynn Hotel. We go to the first restaurant and the business people I was with went and they said, man, this guy's not going to give us a seat. And I was like, there's nobody even in the restaurant. They're like, yeah, they said it's all booked. And I didn't feel like getting mad and getting in between. So I was like, whatever. They tried and tried and tried. Couldn't. So finally they're like, they won't seat us. So I said, let's try somewhere else. Went to another restaurant in the wind. They wouldn't. Finally, I was like, listen, remember what I read in that book years ago? I go, let's go to this. We tried a third restaurant. I said, but let me talk to the waiter, the the maitre d'. And I made him a bet. I bet you whatever, thousand bucks, I'll get us the table that we want. So we go there, same thing. First time the lady just looks at me and is like, sorry, we're all booked. And I'm like, but the tables are all empty. And she's like, yeah, but there are reservations for later and we got to keep them in case they come late. And so I just looked at her and I was like, listen, I know I didn't make a reservation. Like that is my bad. I'm, I, you know, have you ever, you've probably been in my shoes sometimes when you just like something comes up and you're with people and you, and you need to get a nice table and like you didn't think ahead correctly and you feel bad and you're like stuck between a rock and a hard place and you're talking to somebody and you're just trying to get them to see your side of the story. And like her face just kind of lit up. And sure enough, five minutes later, we got the best table in the place because Mm. she could see in her own, remember I told you people are narcissistic, Ben? Like she was thinking about herself. Like, oh, I remember that when that happened to me, or maybe that'll happen to me in the future. So yeah, I would want somebody to give me a slot, a pass. So I'm gonna let this have a pass, this random stranger have a pass. So relatability is a very powerful tool. And as you, you know, like I was telling you, Ben, like when I first started in 2015 and I kind of came in the social media scene with like videos of Lamborghinis and all that, I think, the immediate reaction of 50%, like 50% of people loved it because they were like, ooh, I could get a Lamborghini if this guy could. And 50% of people were like angry about it because it represented something to them. And, And part of that, you'll never get rid of all haters. But if you can, I realize now in hindsight, if I could have made those videos a little more relatable, I tried to. My first video, you know, I talked about being in, Clayton, North Carolina, and not growing up with money and all that. But 
that's like the message that I should have pushed even harder. Like, yo, like, yes, you are seeing me with all this stuff, but. How important do you think? So for me, since I'm a narcissist um, <laughs> and I like to, I care about myself. I mean, how important do you think it is that I'm relatable so other people, because I, I guess I've never really thought about being more relatable to people. I, I've probably thought about it in different ways. Right. Do you think I should focus a lot of my energy on being relatable on camera, off camera, with friends, with you, yes. and work? with everybody. I, I, I mean, it depends what stage. If you're with your best friend you've been with for friends for 10 years, you don't have to try because they already, you already are relatable. They know you. But <clears throat> new people... You know, for sure. Relatability lets people's guard down, man. Vulnerability. And it's not just vulnerability is like a word people throw around, you know. People throw around vulnerability. I don't think it's vulnerability alone because it's only to the extent that vulnerability is relatable. Like nobody's completely vulnerable. In fact, sometimes you're relatable when you're not vulnerable. Because everybody in this world has had times where they didn't want to be vulnerable. They didn't feel comfortable with it. So I don't think you got to be careful not to be cheesy because I see people doing this. I, I can mm. see it. I won't name any names. They're like trying to be like, oh, I feel your pain. But you know you don't feel their pain. I mean, they don't feel your pain. You know it's fake vulnerability. So you have to be real. But yeah, you real. also want to be relatable. Yeah. Relatable. Look, being real is being relatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the thing is, you can't always be one way. For example, I was on jury duty in this, like, three years ago. I was on jury duty on a murder. Well, it wasn't a murder. It was attempted murder. And, and, and it was called malice or something, where you, you guys stabbed a guy in the face. And so I'm on jury it's like literally scarred the guy up for life. And the district attorney, both of, I, I learned, man, court system is crazy. You do, it's kind of a nightmare to be even on jury duty. I couldn't imagine being in the trial, but the defense at the end, when she was doing her closing statement, she like came to the jury box and looked at us and she was like, my client. And it's like, I feel his pain and he's been neglected by the system. And she like cried, but it was such a fake cry mm. that like the, literally 10 minutes later, we're all back in the jury room and everybody's like, what was that? It was like the world's worst acting. So I think that's not relatable. Like most people don't, how often in life do you fake cry? So it's yeah. not just vulnerability. It's, we don't, it's think of it this way. You have to look at something or someone and connect with it. Like literally imagine like you're like an electrical socket and it has to plug in. And the Kardashians, whether you love them or hate them, like people plug into that. They go, ooh, I see my a little part of myself in that family. And they plug in. It's like dysfunctional. People, most people's family is dysfunctional. Yeah. And the Kardashians, sometimes they're mad at this family member and this and this and this and this, but they're not too dysfunctional in the sense that no one's ever tried to, you know, murder each other because that's more, and that's relatable. Most families, no one's trying to kill each other, but there's nobody, somebody gets mad and doesn't talk to their brother for a month or something like that. So I think 
that's also why people like rags to riches stories better because everybody can imagine themselves like, oh, I remember when I was poor and then all of a sudden I have money. So I think you'd be relatable and you don't, you, you can tell your real story and, but it's the mode that you do it, the modality. It has to, it's just, it's not that hard to shift it and it makes a huge difference. Like I said, I could have said to that lady at the Las Vegas restaurant, like, look, I got a very important business meeting. You know, I, I yeah. need this. I, could, I didn't even tip the lady. I could have been like, here's a hundred bucks. But that didn't work on her. What worked on her was her just being like seeing herself in my body, like the electrical plug connected to my life from her t- to me. Yeah. And it's yeah. always at an emotional level. It's like it connects through the heart at the heart gut emotional level, not the logic. You start getting the logical stuff like it doesn't if you like argue at a hotel and you're like, look. I'm one of your top customers. I've spent a lot of money. I see people doing that. They get mad at the hotel and they're like, look, I spent a lot of money at this hotel. I've spent $3,000 on this room and you're not going to give me a reservation like that. See, the person there can't relate to that. Yeah. So yeah, they might, once in a while that might work because they feel like they might get in trouble with their job, but they don't do it willingly and they don't do it as often as if you're like, listen, like, Man, like, for example, a single parent, if they're, like, at a restaurant, they're like, listen, I got a screaming kid in the car. Would you mind opening the store? I know I'm 10 minutes late, but, like, I was here. My kid threw up in the car, and that's why I had to, you know, that's why I'm late. Is there any way you could let me in? And, like, if you say with the right tone of voice, that's a 100 times more likely to let you in than you, like, banging on the door and be like, do you know who I am? Like, that just... And and I and when you, people do marketing and business, you look at the business that make the most money. Like a lot of them are very relatable, even though you think they're not. But like think about Facebook, which is one of the you know monster, arguably the biggest company in the world. They say they have two billion customers that have joined Facebook. Probably not all real, and some are duplicates. But the point is, they got a lot. And it's a very relatable site because it's not even about the company. It's like your family is usually the first people you add and your close friends. Yeah. So it's guaranteed winner because it's like the most relatable business. It's like, hey, connect to people that you already relate to. Literally. like, And think of the family relationships. Like what is the first part of that word? Relate. Yeah, relate. So what do we – relationships is friends, family, and romance. And that, and, and I remember when I was like five years old with mom, this is before you were born, Ben. I was in the car. I can still remember I was in San Diego and my mom was driving. This was when mom was a single mom. She wasn't married to your dad yet. And we're like in the car <clears throat> and she had the music on. And as a little kid, I had observed like it's always love songs. Mm. And when I was like six and I'm like, mom, why are, is all music around love like, because at six years old, love is romantic love is not what I'm thinking about. Like, what is this? And my mom's like, it's because it's important for people. And I remember I couldn't relate then. But now, I mean, what is most music about? Most yeah. movies, most TV shows. Usually there's love in it. It's oh, dude. Form. And when I go to a movie that doesn't have a love theme in it, it almost always bombs. Hmm. Like if you go see movies that don't make any freaking money. 
What's that movie we saw the other day? Denzel. Oh, uh, Israel. Israel something. It was yeah. It's a weird name. Denzel Washington. It was an Esquire. He's a lawyer. It wasn't a great movie. Did you like it? No. A little and bit they, of love in it. They tried, like but it wasn't bit. strong yeah. enough of a love theme. If you think of the movies that have done huge, I mean, E.T. was a big movie. It was like love of, you know, life and this alien. If you look at Star Wars, has a huge Coco. love. Coco had a pretty big Coco, story. which did, how much did it do? Two billion dollars? Yeah, two billion. Two billion. It's the whole story. Like it opens up and it's very smart because it has the grandma in the first scene. And the, who yeah, do you, who so do you love in yeah. your all your relationships? Who do most people yeah. love the most? Their grandma. Yeah. Not their grandpa, not their mom, not their dad, not their brother. You love your grandma the most because grandmas are the nicest. So when you watch that Coco movie, the reason they can sell $2 billion in tickets, that's a lot of money. In that's, under, I feel like that's one of the highest grossing ever, isn't it? Is this it really Titanic didn't billion? even do. That's what you told me. I thought you said it. Maybe it's not $2 billion. But the point is, it's relatable. You watch the movie and you think about your grandma. Put on Coco Mojo. He's searching out on his iPhone. I use Box Office Mojo. Let's see. Is it 400 Oh, no. Okay, forget $2 billion. Yeah. It did $401 million. But it's only been out. It hasn't even been out. It's been out three weeks. What do you see how much it costs? Well, it says NA on the budget. Let's see here. You can just but so sometimes to die of one percent. Coco movie cost. Let's see what the budget was. Uh, it cost one hundred seventy-five million. Probably put about fifty million in. What's interesting is we about two hundred, two hundred. So it's doubled its money, and it's it's the first movie in a series. It's done very good. It got like a high rating on Rotten. But I'm telling you, it's relatable, dude. Your grandma. Yeah. It's a movie based around the grandma and losing love and everybody on planet Earth. Before you walk off this planet, you will have many battle scars from relationships. So you make a movie about love and all of a sudden people are like, man, I relate to that. Yeah. And I've seen on my Snapchat, like things that all you entrepreneurs listening or thinking of you a building or launching a company or selling a product or a service. The reason I don't like a lot of, when I do website reviews at my conferences, people love when I do that. I just like, what's your website? It's just like 99% of websites are like not relatable. Yeah. A lot of them people forget to put a human face on it. They put like, what was that one? I did that master plan seminar at my house the other day. And there's like, out of the 10 websites that I said, volunteers gave and I said let me analyze your website like they were so not relatable one of them had a picture of someone facing away you couldn't even see the face like that's a no-no like faces are so relatable in fact little babies under six weeks old they do eye tracking research on them scientists they just kind of look at where the eye the pupils go and even at six weeks old babies look at faces if you put a, pictures above them of like faces and people or people facing to the side, the babies look at the ones that have eye contact. That's why in business networking and all that, you have to know how to do the right amount of eye contact. Not too much, by the way. 
And the thing you're always talking about is the one sentence. So everyone always has the one sentence is like, I'm doing dynamic scaling of multiple, you know, ethereal. You talk about like people's business plan when they want you to invest. You can't understand it. Yes. Yeah, you want to pitch something, dude, just be like Mentor Box, this company that me and Alex launched. It's like, hey, it's the Netflix of books. People immediately go, oh, Netflix is movies. This is just the same as Netflix, but it's books. And, you know, it's a hugely successful, popular company in under in a year or so. It's a little over a year now. So when you're taking your ideas, and I think it's more than just business. I think it's like if you have a job and you want to raise, and if you can convey that to the boss in a relatable way, like, hey, man, listen, I've been working here for a year, and I hope you can relate. Like, I'm living in a house. I'm renting a place right now. Me and my family, I just had a kid. We can hardly fit in this place. I need to get a raise. I'll do good work for you because I need to get, you know, a nicer place or I need, my kids are going to school. Like people will relate to that. It's hard to say no to that versus, hey, give me a job because I want it. I mean, give me a raise because I want a raise. Like that's not relatable. That's aggressive. That's like me getting mad at the cop and the cop towing my car. So I think, you know, to the in every you you want to date somebody, it's like guys go up and do cheesy lines to girls, and it's just like, you know, I can tell you this: if you walk up to a stranger, and in your opening conversation, you talk about, I'll, I'll tell you an example. When I broke my ankle, I broke my ankle in like 2013, and it was a playing basketball at UCLA and it was kind of a nasty break. So I was like out for, I don't even think you were living in LA then. Were you? Probably not. What year was it? Maybe you were. It might've been 2012. Yeah. You might've been. Do you remember when I had my broken ankle? I think I do. It was your old house. Yeah. And I was like rolling around, like it finally kind of healed, but I couldn't stand on it for a long time. So I'd have to roll around (laughs) on a chair because it had wood floors, thank God. And I live, I was on the second floor so I had to stay on the second floor because I couldn't come down to the first floor. And I roll around the second floor. Anyway, like I remember going on like a few dates once I got crutches. And like people, the yeah, girls were relatable. like, yeah, it's relatable. Girls like were like, ah, oh, because everybody's been hurt. Yeah. When you're a superhero or you pretend to be a superhero and you're like, I'm never hurt. Like nobody relates to that. And so I remember just being like, this is weird. Like, breaking your leg doesn't hurt your dating life at all. And I don't know if it's the same if a girl breaks their leg or a guy, but at least my experience was like, hey, everybody, <laughs> the people are nicer. I went, I remember I went to a Laker game, and this was, this was, um, I didn't have floor stuff like I had now. I had decent seats, but nothing that special. Maybe this is, or this might have been like 2010. And I was going there just with regular seats and I'm on crutches and one of the security guards sees me and he's like, hey, man, don't you don't have to go up these. It was like an escalator. He's like, oh, you don't have to come up here, man. And he's like, here, use this. And he brought me to this elevator. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And it wasn't like a handicap elevator. It was like a special staff elevator at the Staples Center. And I and the elevator opens and I get in and like Jerry Buss gets in. He's the owner of the Lakers. So he, the security guy literally related to me being hurt so much that even though I wasn't VIP, I wasn't 
courtside seats. I just had regular seats. He put me in the owner's elevator. I remember the owner just kind of looking at me like, who the hell is this dude? But he didn't say anything either because I'm, even he, he was like 70, he's dead now, but you know, he's like 70 years old. He could relate to, you know, if I'd come in there with no broken ankle, it'd be more like I'm cocky, but I'm kind of like, hey man, I'm not at my best in life. I'm vulnerable. You know, you relate. And he's like, and he just let, and and I got to ride in the elevator, you know, that no one goes through. So I, I that's just, if you can, obviously you don't want to break your leg all the time, <laughs> but to the extent that you make people, it's basically, Ben, you got to make people see themselves in you. That's like the key. People are always like, Ty, how do you get a mentor? I'm like, well, you got to, rem- you're going to make the mentor go, hmm, this person reminds me of how I was 20 years ago. You know, we were talking about this Elon Musk thing. I just, I, I've interviewed informally a few times, Elon Musk at just some events, a couple, two or three times. Two of them I filmed, one of them, I, the long talk I couldn't film, but I put them up on my Instagram and stuff. And But I said today on my Snapchat, and this is still holds for this show here. If anybody gets Elon Musk on my, my right now my business podcast is in the top one or two or three in the world right now in business. So if you can get Elon Musk for a 10 to 30 minute sit down interview, I'll pay 25 grand. You know, I was thinking like Elon Musk, it's like, why do we love Elon Musk? And he has a somewhat relatable story. Like when he, especially for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Cause when he started, you know, he made all this money with PayPal, but then he spent it all launching his new thing that he was in love with. And most entrepreneurs relate with like loving their idea and putting their heart into it. And then it wasn't working and he was burning a hundred or 200 grand a day, he says. And he was like almost down and out and people were laughing at him and he almost was, you know, near bankruptcy. And the big billionaires were like, what's wrong with this guy? He sold PayPal, he had all this money and now he's an idiot. But then he rises up. And so people like relate to the down and out man. Nothing people like more. Like people are worried, like, what if I start a business and fail? I'm like, dude, that will be probably the best part of your story. Like that will contribute to you being super wealthy at one point when you can just be like uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Colonel Sanders founder. Just uh, he was, you know, homeless in his car at 60. Had no money. Crazy story. And he just like went and everybody he told about his Kentucky Fried Chicken idea I think he went to 990. It was like right under a thousand people he talked to and before one said yes. It was some guy in Utah that gave him the money. But everybody can relate to having a business idea, asking someone to be involved, invest, and people are like, no, I don't have it. And so, you know, that's a great story. That's like the American, when you think of the American dream, that's what you think of. It's like, ooh, I relate, this pioneer who saw things differently from people and went through all this pain. But that's why you should never really feel fear fear of business failure because people just like you more. (laughs) It's like way better to fail a couple times. Like Mark Cuban told me, he said, Ty, you only have to win once. Mm -hmm. You win once, you're good. Because people, then they relate to the failure story and they see potential because they so they place themselves in your failure story and they see them because they're at the bottom 
oftentimes. A lot of people are failing, right? So they're, when you tell them your failure story, they're like, ooh, I relate. And then when you have succeeded and they see you, they see what their future will be and they relate because you were down low. If you just tell them the highlights, they don't relate to that. You know what I mean? So I think that it's, it's, uh, it's something everybody should think about for all areas of life, your life, for persuasion and sales and marketing, but more importantly, in human relationships. Because at the end of the day, basically everything good and, and bad in your life stems, with the exception of hur- hurricanes, earthquakes, uh, cancer, you know, s- car crashes, exclude those traumas those 20% of our traumas, 80% of our traumas is all people. It's just like people not getting you, people you want to be around you, not wanting to be around you, the people you don't want to be around you means you're stuck with, like that's life 101. That is the most important thing to learn in life. So when you understand relatability and you start, and it's, it's not inauthenticity because you're bringing out this different side of you. Yeah. Which is there. It's got to be there or else you'll be, you know, like that defense attorney that's crying. But you could tell she didn't care about her client at all. If she had brought out real authenticity, she ended up, it ended up, by the way, a hung jury. Hmm. I thought the guy, I, I, it was funny. It was not funny, but it was a crazy case because I thought there wasn't enough evidence. So I found him not guilty. And I took six, uh, five jurors with me. So it was six. And this other guy took six people, and, or him and five others, and we went to hung jury. We came back out. The judge, um, the judge is like, go back in there. We don't want a hung jury. And I'm like, oh, man, they sent us back in. Dude, was, I was almost 30 days on jury duty. It's a long time. Usually jury duty is like five days. And oh I'm in there. It's funny. The guy who led the – he was the – like the other side that, that found was – finding him guilty. We've become friends. We had dinner years later. He's a nice guy, but we genuinely disagreed. Like, I, it, maybe it is relatability because the guy that was accused in it, I believed he had done something wrong. Obviously, he kind of admitted it. I didn't even believe. He like said, yeah, like I got in a fight with this guy. But the, 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 the prosecution was trying to say it was gang-related. Because in LA, if it's gang-related, the guy goes to prison for like an extra 10 years. And for a district attorney, they get, somehow it's some weird system, they get like points, like they're promoted the more people they get longer sentences. So I kind of, I mean, I definitely tried to look at the evidence and I, I voted what I thought the evidence showed, but for sure, the other people that went with me were like, we related to like, everybody's been falsely accused of something in life. And you can tell when somebody's overly, and I even went to the judge and I was like, look, man, every, by the way, all 12 of us agreed it wasn't gang right away. Hmm. So that wasn't a hung jury. All 12 of us were like, dude, that guy's being railroaded. Like this is bullshit. Somebody has an agenda because gang-related stuff, you know, anything about gangs. I grew up around in Southern California, born in Long Beach. There was a lot of gangs around. Gang members almost always are in a group. Like, there's net Gang members are 100% of the time almost with other people. 
Like, and this guy was one-on-one and he, the guy who was potentially going to prison walked one-on-one up to this guy and I think it was over a girl. He had been like sitting outside his house watching and a girl came and then this guy came across the street and they got into this brawl and fight and he basically sliced the guy's face with a knife. It's called malice. So I go into the judge and I'm like, can we just find this guy guilty of, you know, assault? And he's like, no, the way the prosecution put it in, you can only vote yes, gang-related attack or no. I'm like, there's nothing in between? Like, no. They're like, the prosecution entered it this way. And I'm like, all 12 of us were like, hell no. So he had some other things like carjacking and stuff like that. Uh, I can't remember how we found him. I think we agreed on a few things because he had just admitted like, yeah, I stole his car. So, but the point being that those lawyers, there was an element of non-relatability in the prosecution. No one wants to relate to someone falsely accusing. We relate to the other side of that, you know? Everybody here, even as a little kid, your brother or your sister or somebody, they did it and they're like, you did it. And like, that's like a core fundamental human need to not have injustice done against them. So you instantly, that's why people like the underdog. That's why no one likes the Golden State Warriors basketball team. Because they've won, basically they've been in the finals the last years. And no one relates to like the team that's always on the top. You might root for them. They root for them in San Francisco, but the average person's like, fuck them, you know. They didn't like LeBron James when he went to, to Miami Heat and it was too many good players on one team. And now Golden State has all these. Because we can all relate to like you're in school and all the good kids join one team and like bully you. You know, like, you know how you got to do stupid PE things and they, like, pick teams? And every person, 90% of America is like, wow, I remember when people did that to me. So people don't like Golden State. People didn't like Super Team Miami. And they relate to these, like, underdog teams that come in. Like, the L.A. Clippers in L.A. became popular because, partly because they were underdog against the Los Angeles Lakers, who have been good for so long. And millions of people are like, forget the Lakers, we love the Clippers. Hmm. And Clippers did a good job at being that relatable team. Like, you don't want to vote for the big guy. Yeah. So if you're interested in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and want to learn how to make money with Bitcoin, I'm opening up a brand new Bitcoin crypto academy for you. Crypto is starting to fundamentally change everything from currencies to the very structure behind the internet. And if you don't understand it, you will be left behind. Remember, if you had put $100 into Bitcoin in 2010, you would have over $100 million right now. I don't want you to miss out on the coming opportunities offered by Bitcoin in the cryptocurrency space. So I brought in the best experts in the game, the people that are teaching me and training me, and I'm gonna share that with you because it's not too late to understand Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and the blockchain and to make money with it. So to sign up for my new Bitcoin Crypto Academy and learn how to invest, how to make money in this new exciting space, I'm gonna open up room for a few of you to have early access to the new online mentor mastermind. So go to tylopez.com slash Bitcoin podcast to learn more. So I'm testing the mastermind. So I'm just gonna let a few of you in at a low price and uh, it's already filling up quickly. So if you want to get in, I'll let a few of you in. So go to tylopez.com slash Bitcoin podcast, all one word. 
cloudopez.com slash Bitcoin podcast. If the course is closed, when you get to the page, put in your name in the waiting list. You missed out on the first round. Uh, and if you see it, welcome to the group. Glad you didn't procrastinate. Okay, back to the show. What were you saying about Donald Trump? <laughs> I don't know if I want to go on record for this. Um, You're not supporting or attacking Donald Trump. You were just nah. talking about the psychology. Yeah. I was, well, you were talking about relatableness, and I was just like, oh, man, I feel like the reason Donald Trump won is he was more relatable than Hillary. He was, he was the people's choice. He was the people's man. And, you know, he used words people understood. He came from a place that people came from. Like, right. he was, like, a businessman. He was an entrepreneur. He wasn't a politician. Right. So I was like that. I mean, I, I guess it's one reason why he may have won. Yeah, I mean, obviously, politics is very complicated. But for sure, he did better than everybody expected. Definitely. You know, I mean, nobody expected. If you would have asked people one year before he's elected, will this the star of The Apprentice be the future president? 100% of people would have said. I think yeah. even Donald Trump wouldn't have thought. Yeah. But it's unprecedented. To a certain extent. And I think both sides, whether you're Republican or Democrat, you will agree. Like Donald Trump, a certain segment of America really related to him. Now, a certain segment completely did not relate with him, and that's why he's one of the most polarizing people in history. But the people who related to him, a lot more of them came out to vote than Hillary expected. And you're right, Hillary. I did a little mini interview with Hillary. And... She's definitely, she hasn't, you know, she's not as relatable as a lot of, like, Obama people liked. Yeah. He's a very yeah. relatable guy. He, like, plays basketball and stuff. And he's just, da, da, da. no, I think he has that vibe. Obviously, Obama's very intelligent, but he doesn't come off as aloof. And Hillary's very intelligent. And Joe Biden and Lieberman and some of the, and even um, Mitt Romney and stuff, like, they did not come off likable enough. I think George Bush Jr., George W. Bush, was just like, eh, it's like he's like, yeah, a, he spoke like, I mean, he he wasn't good at speaking. Yeah, a lot of people aren't that good at speaking. Yeah, he was just like, hey, I I I was an alcoholic. You know how many people in America and the world can relate to having an addiction, whether it be alcohol or other things. Like the whole damn world's addicted to something. Yeah. Yeah, and like Donald Trump just spoke his mind. He just like said what well, yes. he's on Twitter. Yes. Like, what's a big thing you hear right now? He's watched. He watches the news a lot. Right. So it's like even now he's still this everyday normal guy. Although somehow. I've heard that the White House said that's not true. He does not watch no, four hours. It's fake news. <laughs> no, I think I think at the end of the day, you have to understand what makes us humans click. It's not as complicated as we think. We're not that rational. Even the most, dude, I know personally some of the most rational, logical people in the world, whether they be professors or mentors of mine or mathematicians, PhDs, they are like even our friend that you know, Dr. Fresco. I mean, he's a top neuroscience, uh, neuroscientist, discovered the gene for paralysis, was published in Neuron magazine, uh, publication twice, once on the cover, which is the most prestigious you know, molecular neuroscience journal. He's a freaking emotional, he's more emotional than you're you. 
Doesn't matter that he's got a PhD. He got the he got a PhD in neuroscience faster than anyone in history. Really? Yeah, he's huh. very quote unquote academic, but he makes some of the goofiest decisions known to mankind that are pure emotion. There's that book, good book if you haven't read it. Is Daniel Kahneman's you know thinking slow and thinking fast, just about the two parts of our brain. One of them being you know this primal reptilian part of our brain stem and then of course you got this front part of your head by your forehead like the neocortex like the, that's where you that's like the human side the rest we share with like alligators and lizards and stuff but what what dr fresco did tell me when he was in one of his logical modes because as you know he goes between emotional and logical he's from argentina so he's got the latin fire but <clears throat> He, uh, he's like, Ty, the way you're, you know, you get a signal up your spine, like, and it, like, let's say something jumps out at you or like you're watching the it movie, you know, that horror movie, Stephen King, like you're logical, the front part by your forehead, you know that you're in a movie theater, but the back part of your head, literally the neck all the way up, it kind of runs from your neck all the way up your head towards the front, you have, you know, your brainstem and you have the medulla and the cerebellum and you have all these parts of your brain that are very not logical. And so when you're trying to be more relatable to people, you have to understand like people are just going off their gut feelings. Like you go to like business network, people are deciding if they like you in the first three seconds by how you stand, tone of voice, who you remind them of in their past blah 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 it's like you're not really relating to a human you're relating to parts of their brain that they're not even yeah, you're relating of. to the animal side humans got an animal side whether you believe in evolution or creationism both sides agree there's an animal component to humans and if you have any semblance of common sense you will agree that you know if you're a christian or something you'll believe you know you got the sin the, the the sin part, the sinful animal nature. If you're an atheist, you believe you have prime primal instincts versus highly logical ones. But the point being, most of it doesn't make it to the neocortex. Like just most of what you do, first of all, breathing is the autonomic part of your body. Meaning not one person logically was like, today I need to breathe in and out 17,000 times. You just completely on autopilot. Like nothing in your logic is going, it would be more logical for me to breathe faster. Like nothing. You never even think until I said it on this show. Yeah, yeah. Now, not one per, now you're thinking about it, right? Yeah. So if you think about it, to be relatable, what's logical? Like there's a people don't relate to logic. I actually read a book. No one who's logical has become president in forever. Hmm. <laughs> like Obama's speeches were like Totally for the people, even people who led movements like Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi or Malcolm X. I read, you know, the, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Have you read that? You should read that. It's a wild book. Like okay. Malcolm X was like just, you know, his dad was taken by a whole bunch of white guys. I think he was from Detroit as a little kid. And he watched these like racist guys take his dad and put his dad's head on the railroad tracks till a train ran over his dad. They like. He watched his own dad being killed. So imagine if he's a revolutionist leader 
for black power, so to speak. Think of how much relatability he can say. He can be up on stage and be like, who here has ever been mistreated because of the color of your skin? And like everybody there, even not, not only black people, but other people are like, hell yeah. And so he could create this massive movement. He persuaded, even though he followed, even later in his life, he agreed some of his, you know, he followed this prophet Muhammad guy. I mean, not, not Muhammad, prophet uh, Elijah or something like that. I forget the guy's name. But he followed a cult leader who was like supposedly could do no wrong and all this. And then he found out later that the guy wrong. was a regular, yeah, he found out it was a regular human. But the point being, like he could, you could like, Start a cult and persuade people to follow you if you touch them at the related boldness level. And, you know, the whole reason I'm doing this episode of this show is because what's not taught, what's taught in school is things related to IQ, reading, writing, arithmetic, memorization, calculus, geometry, social studies, history. That's about 80% of what we go through, even in university. But it's the soft skills, the EQ, the emotional quotient. And to, I was reading a book on EQ, and like EQ is defined as knowing your own emotions and how to control them, turn them on and off. Like people feel lazy. That's because they can't turn off the laziness and turn on the hardworking side that we all have in it. Um, you need to be able to read how other people are reacting to you and turn it on and off. Because sometimes we don't do that. You just like, you're in a bad mood and you're like talking to people and you don't realize you're making everybody hate you. But because you're in your own little self-centered world, you just keep yelling. Hmm. And then it, you're alone and you can't figure out why no one likes you. That's EQ. And so like everything I've been talking about today is just one. I mean, there's so much you can talk about EQ, but relatability. If you up your relatability factor, think of where you are now, one to ten. What would you say you are, Ben? Well, just counting on this show, like I feel like a huge point is you tell stories yes. and I didn't tell stories. Now it's your show and it's obviously like I'm not going to go on a long storytelling rant. But I mean, you fundamentally are just great at telling stories. You're very relatable. And I think stories, like we see visual images and stories give us visuals. So like a big thing you tell me is Ben. He's like, use more proper nouns and use more, uh, what was the other thing you said? I don't know, basically just like, Talk more direct and get it into people's brains. And I think this whole show, you've just been telling stories, and that's right. very relatable. And I haven't. So, I mean, I'll answer your question, because Ty always gets on me, he's like, you got to do short or long. What I just did was long, short. That's okay. On this show, you yeah. can talk long-winded. It's a little bit longer. But yeah, I think I'm like, a, I think I'm average. I'm like a five out of ten. And I think you're fundamentally... No, I think you're higher than People like you. I mean, actually, I think I'm I think lucky you're in very the sense relatable of, when people when you're not trying. Yes, when uh, you're yeah, just you normal, I would say you're more like an eight at least relatability. Because yeah, I think I have friends. a lucky skill of somehow being like it's yeah, because a you're not. Person. It's because you're not too cocky. Yes, and, and I have being, good reason to not be too cocky. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying you're just like kind of go with the flow vibes. Yeah. Which people yeah. relate to because most people, most people, I mean, it depends where you live. If you live in L.A., a lot of people are cocky. Definitely. But if you, throughout the world, the average person, you know, they're not like, ooh, look at me. I'm conquering the world. The average person's like, mm, I'm doing all right. I, I kind of make enough money. I kind of don't. I kind of 
like my life. I kind of don't. I kind of like my job. I kind of don't. Like, that's how most people are. And you come off with a vibe like that. I mean, in some ways, I'm a one in reliability, and sometimes I'm a 10. I think I bounce around. But I think just your storytelling skills yeah, why you're so high. Like, you are maybe one of the best storytellers I think anyone knows. Like, that's the reason. Yeah, but, that's, you're so but I'm not always like, like that. Yeah, it's a, it's and then a when skill. I'm not, I'm like a one. So I'm like, it depends when you catch me. If you guys meet me out in public, depending on the situation, <laughs> you might be like, that's the least relatable dude in the world. Or, yeah, I mean, for sure. Like I always say, if you're wanting to learn how to be a good public speaker, another thing they should have taught us in school, by the way, um, because everybody will, there will come a time when you have to stand before a crowd and it could be 10 people or 10,000. And you have to compel the crowd. It could be job-related. It could be movement-related. It could be, you know, you never know where you find yourself. But almost always, there will be one critical junction in your life that you'll find, ooh, I got to give a good speech. And from giving quite a few talks, I when I look down at the crowd, I call it the cell phone test. When you're talking boring which now I would remove the word boring. I call it unrelatable. Yeah. Everybody's checking their phone while you're on stage speaking. But so you want to find what are those things you can talk about that gets people to look up from their phone? That's when your relatability factor goes to 10. And that's like stories, right? Yeah, stories. But it has to be the right kind of story. I'll tell you something, a phrase that gets people like basically one. If I am ever losing a crowd, I have a go-to move. I will give you a go-to <laughs> move cool. if you go, all right, give me a second. I want to tell you a story about someone close to me, how they betrayed me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone's like, oh, oh people, God. everybody, um, like, <laughs> it's basically 100% of planet Earth is like, I've been betrayed. And they want, you want to hear it because you're almost like living vicarious like yes that bastard they betrayed you they betrayed me too yeah like oh dude if you if you just get up and be like who here another example of this wait is what's like, the story where you've been betrayed <laughs> you <wanna> <laughs> I no you could also get up and be like who here has ever dated somebody and you thought they were amazing and they turned out yeah. to literally be one of the worst people on planet earth yeah yeah like everybody's like, like ooh, i love it or who here ever had a boss that was an asshole and didn't give you the credit that you deserve. Like yeah. every, but like nine out of 10,000 people, 9,995, maybe five people are like too busy playing something on their phone. So it's like, I want to tell you about my ex who was also my boss who betrayed me. That's yes. like the ultimate story. My boss. Another one is family. If you're like, you know, sometimes I've used this, which is, I said, some of you here, will learn to make $1 million. Hmm. And somebody close to you will take it from you. Oh, my God. Oh, that <laughs> one gets one. people like, holy crap, because everybody's out there trying to go, I want to make more money. And then the thought that, because I can't tell you how often that happens. So people relate because they relate. You know, a good relatability factor is when it hasn't even happened to people yet and they already relate. (laughs) That's like because people haven't even made a million bucks, but they're like, oh, yeah, I can imagine my damn cousin. He would do that to me. My, you know, my mom, my, my best friend, my girlfriend, my wife, my husband, like everybody has this Machiavellian part of their brain that's somewhat cynical going. 
who's going to be the one to plunge the knife in my back? Mm. Who I thought was, you know, it's like Shakespeare, you know? Et tu, Brutus, was the famous saying when Julius Caesar is, like, betrayed by, like, his right-hand man, and he looks up, and his right-hand man is killing him. And he's like, even you turned against me? Like, that's Shakespeare. By the way, the probably the greatest storyteller of all time is William Shakespeare, who's still— If you're talked about for centuries, you're a pretty good storyteller. And the stories of William Shakespeare are very relatable. Like, Julius Caesar is— a boy and a girl who love each other, but the families don't want them to get married. Like, that still happens today all the time. People joke about their in-laws, like, you know, so. Yeah, because that's interesting, because, like, here, yeah. I keep on forgetting to get close. In music, so, like, it, we're talking about stories, but in music, I'm thinking about it, and a lot of hip-hop is really popular. Yes. And it's, like, future relatableness, because they're talking about well, they talk about women a lot, which is well, a lot of it, but like yeah. bling and money, a lot of yes. people don't have. So I yeah, guess there's no, other the relatableness is like in hip hop is like you have street cred. So that one song I've been showing my Aesop Ferg. Yeah, it's like the music video. How does it go again? Come <laughs> to Allah. It's check like me. Check. Well, it's called something. I forget what it's called. But anyway, if you watch the music video of ASAP Ferg, it's it, I forget that. Look it up with the name of it. But oh, he's plain Jane. Plain Jane. Yeah. He's from Harlem, so he's not from a nice part of town. In the music video, he's there with his original people. Now he has money, but he's like still stayed friends and kept his roots. Mm. So now it's relatable in that like I'm from where you're from. I'm you. But like you said, I'm you in the future. Mm. So that's multiple biases. That's the relatability, liking bias, but it's also association. I want to associate with the future you. You know, it's easily available. Like if you are born rich and then you show how much money you make, nobody cares because it's not available to them. The yeah. story of your life to be persuasive has to be available to them. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's so. Available. Yeah. yeah, available because most people are also narcissistic, but they're also somewhat optimistic about themselves. Yeah. In fact, they call that over-optimism bias. That is one of the biases. Uh, yeah. The okay. formal head of the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan, yeah, they call it a over-estimation. You know, and, and one of the things he said as head of the Federal Reserve for a long time was the average person's overly optimistic about stuff. When you invest in a stock, you're like, mm, well, the fact that I invested in it means it'll probably go up a little more than, I, than if I hadn't invested it or if my friend only. So, yeah, when hip-hop hip has really grown, especially in the U.S., as kind of the dominant, most popular music. If you just go to a nightclub or go on their average radio, it's some, either hip-hop or somehow related to hip-hop. Drake, for example, you know, and you think about Drake, Drake's songs are very relatable. They're mostly about love. Yeah. And either the pain of love, the lo I mean, the loss of love. If I think about my life, the biggest pains in my life have been about love. There's not like making money sometimes has been a pain, but it's never been nothing. It's one tenth of the pain that you'll have from a breakup from somebody you love or, you know, the death of somebody close to you. Like, there's nothing. Like, my first, you weren't, you don't even remember your grandpa. We have the same grandpa. 
But Grandpa Martin, he, when he died, like from zero, when I was born to age eight, my dad was either in prison or not in my life. So my mom was a single mom. So I was raised by, partly by my grandma. And at that time, our grandpa was still alive. I should say our grandpa, because he's your grandpa. But he died when I was eight. And when he died, uh, I was dev. I remember just being like, walking in because he died at home. He kind of died in his sleep. It wasn't a horrible death. It wasn't a great, I mean, he had emphysema from smoking too much. And I just walked in there and I was just like, I remember the shock because I used to sit with him by the fireplace every day and he'd tell me stories. Probably why I know how to tell stories. And he he made me curious and he'd always had a book. He liked to read science fiction, by the way. Your grandpa, you probably don't know that about your grandpa. No, I didn't. As an Aries, he'd sit there reading science fiction. He, he had been a scientist and he had studied space. He was a you know done astronomy, studied asteroids actually, and he would sit there with a book by a fireplace, and from probably age you know three till he died when I was seven or eight, I would just sit there and my mom would go to work, leave me with grandma. My grandma was often busy. She'd leave me, and it would just be me and Grandpa sitting there. And uh, when he died, it was just like kind of my father figure died. And so that was the first pain that I remember, really, of that loss. But everybody on planet Earth relates to that. And that's why I said that movie Coco is like about the grandma, and she's old, and, you know, she might die and you relate to like, oh, man, nobody wants to. I, I saw somebody tweet. Somebody said, if my grandma dies, I might just commit suicide. Like like the thought that you're like grandma's gone is just like devastating. So all those just human parts, dude, are what people relate to. It's not so much the logic. It's not. I think people like Drake. Be, the rappers who just purely do how badass they are never get as big. Like, I mean, Drake in some ways isn't a rapper. Depends on what category you want to put him in. But the, even think about Kendrick Lamar is one of the big rappers out there. J. Cole, Jay-Z put out an album, you know, in the last year. And like Jay-Z talks about like, man, I should have listened to people and bought real estate in Dumbo, Brooklyn. He has that. He's like, I'm a Dumbo. Story. Everybody on planet Earth relates to that. Yeah. We're all like, oh. I relate I to it right now. I should invest in like, Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. Would have had, uh, what, 100 million if you invested? Yeah, 100 bucks. I had a buddy. Well, the first Bitcoin transaction was two pizzas for was it? 10,000 Bitcoin. Yeah, 10,000 Bitcoin. Don't you have a new yeah. Bitcoin show? Is I do. TyLopez.com slash Bitcoin show. I actually launched this new podcast, so I now have two podcasts. This one's my business one, the other one. And it's number two in biz- business. It's number 10 today in the whole world of all shows. Yeah, TyLopez.com slash Bitcoin show. Um, anyway, but... That story of like missing out on money at that thousand Bitcoin, they're worth sixteen thousand dollars right now. Oh, I know. It's you to basically be a billionaire, you know, for for two two people. Not quite a billionaire, but you know, a lot of money. Yeah, anything you can do 
to make people see themselves in your story will automatically connect you with them better. Next time a police officer pulls you over, you got to make him see himself in the driver's seat being pulled over. And so you can't just go, well, you know, I'm late. Like, that's not enough. Yeah, that's not relatable. No, I mean, it is relatable, but it's not enough. So it's like, I guarantee you this. If you get pulled over and you say to a cop, my wife, here's the text of my wife. I mean, here's a, she's FaceTiming. She's giving birth right yeah, now. Yeah. Dude, birth. I'm giving birth to my first son. I want to be there. You know, put yourself in my shoes. Have you ever wanted to be there with somebody? And yes, I drove too fast and I'm an idiot for that. And I won't drive. I mean, you might get a police escort. Because either the policeman's had that happen to himself in the past, so it's relatable, or he can project it as it's relatable in the future. So that that's persuasion one on one, like marketing. Like when my, when I've sold things and I've made money with them, for example, Mentor Box, the most relatable thing. We've tested many different marketing angles for this MentorBox.com kind of Netflix of books, and the most relatable is we have Alex. The there's two of us that started it fifty fifty. He he's in the commercials for it, and we have a commercial where there's a stack of books, and he's like. Have you ever had all these good books sitting around and you're like kicking yourself because you haven't finished reading them and you know there's so much good stuff, but you can't find the time to do it? We're going to help you read them faster by summarizing, getting the authors to summarize them for you. When did he do that at? That is a good at. It's a, I, j- I feel exactly yeah. like yes. that. Like, damn it. Because the whole world, like I saw it on Instagram it, as a, even though I own the company, it was advertising to me. And I called up Alex and I was like, dude, that headline is going to win because he had just started running and he's like you know what Ty how'd you know that one beat our old headline Hmm. our old headline was more about like how to read as many books as the average CEO or something which did pretty well but this headline won because everybody like I promise you 90% of planet earth who has a brain there's a book that a friend told them about maybe it's sitting in their house maybe they just heard about it saw it in a bookstore or online they're like, I should read that. And they haven't taken the time. Yeah. So basically, the, and, and that's how you create, like MentorBox, we just got in, Wal- like Walmart, we we just got, you know, the largest employer in the world just took us on for employee training for using MentorBox. Because one of MentorBox's customers was like one of the heads there, vice presidents or whatever at Walmart. And he related, he's like, ooh, I need more people. So you wanna make more money with your business, make people go, oh, holy crap. I see myself in that person. I see that product. Like, that's why if you're doing like fitness, what sells so well is before and after pictures. Hey, I used to be 50 pounds overweight and I did this exercise and this diet and here I am. And the whole world, there's very few people over 30 years old or even over 25 that go, no, I don't want to lose a pound yeah. of fat. Like almost everybody has a little fat they'd like to get rid of. It's very relatable. And some people got a lot. And so we relate to that story massively. See the picture of the overweight person? They're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's me right now. That's me now or me in the past. And like this is my future projection. Yeah, you probably should have before and after almost three pictures. It's like, here, hi. I wonder if anyone's ever tested that. That'd be like the new marketing 3.0. 
So you show like how I was when you're like 50 pounds overweight. And then you like put yourself in the mid, or like 200. You know how some people are super obese? You're like, here's when I was 100 pounds overweight. And then you do the middle one, which is like here I'm just 20 pounds overweight. So that's most people. Yeah, because most people are in 100 pounds overweight. Yeah, so that's not even that really. So when, yeah, when you see like, and also some people get too ripped. That's not relatable. You know, I'll tell you something. We'll close with this because Ben's getting tired. It's four in the morning. I'm a, yeah, I get pretty tired at night. It's only 4.18. I'm, I'm a, more of a night owl. <laughs> Ty, Ty is not relatable in his ability to stay up <laughs> and then wake up really early. Um, the, uh, not normal. The most popular girls in the world are not supermodels. In fact, if you look on Instagram and you look at which girls get the most followers, yes, there's some, you know, some of the Victoria's Secret models get the most. But I can tell you from having a pretty big social media following, the girls next door, more dudes comment on. Because for most guys, dating, you know, Gigi Hadid. Never going to get a supermodel. Or Victoria's Secret model. For most guys, it's not even in their consciousness. And so a girl who's like that girl next door cute, guys go crazy for. It's like girls, you know, it, it's when I own nightclubs, you would see the girls that are popular, obviously really pretty. And even when they interview supermodels, a lot of supermodels are like, I can't get a date. I go to a party, no guy walks up to me. Hmm. Either they're intimidated or they think, automatically assume I'm already got guys running after me but I every know my new strategy you're gonna go after the super Bowl. Yeah, there you go, go. <laughs> no but i'm saying i it kind of works so it's very important to understand that psychology like putting the most if you're let's say you have a clothing line if i had a trust between supermodels that's why sometimes actually curvy models do really well mm-hmm. You know, I don't, not like necessarily obese or not super skinny. And even with guys, because most guys can't relate, there's not that many girls that have a supermodel body. So guys, I think subconsciously, men in their DNA go, that ain't happening. So I'm not, I'm going to push that out of my relatableness, girl relatableness factor. And I'm going to go, and there, there's, there's a lot of proof of that. A lot of proof of that. Even like travel. I've traveled to like the most beautiful, pl- I've been all around the world. The most beautiful place I've ever been to is this Southern Chile in South America. You know, Chile's on the Pacific side. It's beautiful. They have this area called the Lake Region, Puerto Montt. It's like, it's closest thing I've seen to heaven on earth in many ways. It's insane. It has tropical, it, it, not tropical. It has temperate climate, somewhat like Southern California. It was settled by a lot of Germans. So it's like kind of has this European look to the buildings. It has volcanoes that are still smoking. Hmm. Lakes that are high up that are crystal clear. It's in the best fishing up in lakes. You can go from a skiing to surfing in one hour for the mountains down. The mountains are right by the ocean. And It has the most fertile soil I've ever seen in the world. I went there with the agricultural group. Put it this way. We went to a farm in North Carolina where I lived at the time. One acre would yield 30 bushels of wheat. I think a bushel of wheat is around 40 pounds, 30, 40 pounds. 
so a thousand pounds. This farmland was so fertile, it'd do six times that, 6,000 pounds. They had grapes that were the size. It was like heaven on earth. But when I tell people about Chile, it ain't, it's not a relatable place to visit. No. Most people are like, I'm going to Vegas. <laughs> because you can relate to Vegas. All your friends have gone to Vegas. You've seen ads about Vegas. You know what you get in Vegas. There's no fear. You're like, I'm going to go to the MGM Hotel. I'm going to gamble. I'm going to see a show. I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to fall asleep in my own vomit. No, I mean, hopefully you guys know what it is. But I'm saying people relate to that story. And so Chile is definitely a more amazing place, in my experience, more beautiful than Vegas. Vegas is like man-made beauty. It ain't like Mother Nature makes more beautiful things. But it's not relatable. I gave up on telling people that. People are always like, where should I go in the world? I'm like, uh, go to Vegas. Yeah, go to Vegas. <laughs> like, I don't really say that, but I'm like, go. You know, I tell them other places I like. London. That's very exotic for most people. It's like, <gasps> London. I'm like, yes, London. It's basically they speak English. Yeah. Even Paris intimidates people. You know, God help you if you recommend. Like I had my friend was just in South Africa, Jeremy. You know Jeremy. Yeah. And he's like, Ty, come to Germany. And it's funny. Even me as like a traveler, I'm like, hell no, I ain't going to South Africa. It's too, like he's like, come to Cape Town. It's better than San Diego. And I'm like, but I can relate to San Diego, man. So even then he couldn't persuade me, but he did a good job. He persuaded me by going, I almost went when he did it this way. He's like, dude, San Diego, which you love, Ty, this is almost the same thing, but more beautiful and less expensive. Mm. And I'm like, oh, okay. He almost got me on a plane. When he just said South Africa, I was like, uh, I'll pass. You know? So when I say Chile, I need to stop saying Chile. I need to be like, you want to go to a place that's like Southern California? Yeah, but cheaper. But it's a seven-hour flight away and cheaper? People are like, hmm, maybe. A lot of people's marketing for their business is like literally exactly like the – bad way to present Chile. Want to go to South America to a country you've never heard of, you never landed on, that used to have Pinochet, the dictator who killed thousands of people? You want to go there to a place, a city you've never heard of, Puerto Montt, in the sixth, it's like the sixth district of Chile, and you'll have to like land in Santiago and trade a train, and people were like... Sounds horrible. Yeah. Although... Hell no. We should go there sometime. This place is bad to the bone. I'm going to show you a picture, Ben. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm already sold, but... You're a little more adventurous than the average person. Well, you've explained both sides of the... Of the uh, how it looks. Look at this. The crystal clear lakes. Dude, this place. I like the volcanoes, too. The volcanoes. Got Look me. at this. Look at it. Yeah, that's... It's insane. That's what the towns look like. It's well, wild. Yeah, the water's incredibly... Dude, it's nuts. I've never seen a place like this. Is that a volcano? Is that just a Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude, they have trees. We looked to buy a farm that had trees on it that are like the sequoias. There was 10 guys on this. We went to visit a farm. 10 of us could not put our arms around the base of the tree holding hands. It's like the redwoods. Big as the redwoods. You could buy a farm with your own redwoods. It was Hmm. nuts. Wow. It's the most fertile place. Like, it'd be healthy for... This is... They had log cabins. Look at this log cabin. Permaculture farm. It's... It almost looks like Sweden and California. But it's not so cold. Oh. 
What's the normal temperature? It's it's a little chillier. It depends where you are in the lake region, but sorry, we got a little distracted on the show. This is more southern. These famous mountains that are in the Patagonia part. Beautiful. Oh, so Patagonia is in yeah, it's in Chile. Patagonia is the next district down. Patagonia is beautiful. Yeah, but that's cold, dude. Yeah. This is like this. It's just like it's it's like Virginia, but you're not like heaven. They don't even have better pictures. Whoever represents the tourism board for Chile should hire me. I'm like, job. what the heck is wrong with you? Here, I'll just put in Puerto Montt. We should yeah, have- it's amazing. I, I read this article about how there's, for those of you wanting a business, be good at marketing and countries are hiring people now because tourism's so big that countries and cities are starting to hire um, people who do basically marketing for their, like Chile should totally hire. These are the worst pictures. It does not do it justice. Um, I will find. Yeah, it's like that. It's like in a yeah. city. Lush farmland, big oh, mountains. I'm get, I, I might have to get off this podcast episode, this show, and just head to Chile. If you guys don't hear from me for a while, come visit me in Chile. All right, we're headed out. Thanks, Ben, for being here. You're welcome. Go check out my new podcast show. It's on Bitcoin cryptocurrency. Never, as Alan Nation told me, Ty, never be the first or the last to learn about a new idea, to try a new idea. It's not that new, but it's not too late. But it will be too late soon. So get in, tylopez.com slash Bitcoin show. Remember to be relatable. Look at your website. Look at your marketing. Look at your dating life. Look at your asking your boss for a raise all through a new lens of one to 10. How relatable am I? All right. Don't be like me. And when you could have bought Bitcoin at 3000 and didn't because you're <laughs> too lazy. And still torture. Don't do that and buy. <laughs> Just buy and listen. Well, don't always buy. Know what you're buying first. All right. Talk yeah, to you guys soon. Podcast.